uh, this week. I pray that it's a, a blessing to you. Um, as we do have a number of guests, I, I wanted to point out the insert in your service folder. If I think we kind of ran, ran out of bulletins, but if there's one of these near you, uh, please take it out. In fact, uh, fellas, a little hint for you. Um, if you take it out and then like fill in the blanks and write notes, guess what that's going to say to your wife? Whether it's true or not, it's going to look like you really want to get things better in this series and in this message. And so, you know, just for that fact alone, you should take out the, the sermon notes and, uh, and fill them out. So anyway, um, that, that advice was free, guys, all right? Um, I was wondering, have you ever gotten involved in an activity or an experience that turned out to not be the way you expected it to be? Let me give you an example from my life. Uh, when I was in college, I had a group of friends that were really into ice fishing. And so in the winter, I went to school in Minnesota. Uh, in the winter, they would go ice fishing, you know, sometimes really early on a school day, um, other times mostly on the weekend, and they just hang out there all Saturday. And uh, my buddies for a while were just trying to encourage me to go with them. And I finally relented and decided, you know, I was going to get up on a Saturday morning really early and go out onto the lake with them. And here's what I envisioned in my first ice fishing experience. I envisioned warm shanty, card playing, some snacks, maybe a beverage or two, um, some shooting of the breeze, and maybe we'd catch a fish or two. My friend picked me up really early. He was all by himself in his truck. It was just him and I. And as we started driving and started talking, I quickly discovered that my vision for what this day was going to be like was not at all like it was going to turn out. Because my friend thought it'd be really cool to go to a lake not where his shanty was parked, but instead to try out a new lake because the fishing might be even better. Now, this year, we've been spoiled by the weather the last number of weeks. This was one of those cold winter mornings in Minnesota where when you go outside, your face hurts. Like, it just stings your skin to be outside. Southern, southwest Minnesota is where we were. The wind's whipping around, okay? And we got out of the truck, and I wanted to immediately go back into the truck, all right? He didn't have a power auger, so we're there like this with the auger, which again, maybe most of you do that, but for me, that was way too much work, okay? We did not catch any fish, and there was no shanty, there was no snacks, there was no beverages, there was very little conversation because my entire mindset was, when are we done? And honestly, I have never been ice fishing again. And fellas, one, someone after last service tried to convince me to go with him. I really don't think I am ever going to go again. So um, as I share that experience about ice fishing, I, I wonder if there might be any similarities to a reality being different than expectation when it comes to relationships that you've been in or in the marriage that you're in right now. Going into marriage, I think all of us have a picture of how things are going to be. Idyllic, you know, um, warm shanty, unlimited snacks, beverages, and lots of great conversation, right? Or whatever it was for you. <laughs> and then you get in the marriage and you realize that there's a gap 
between my expectations and reality. And if you haven't been married very long, let me just say, there's a gap between expectations and what ends up being reality. And when you feel that gap, we all begin to fill it with emotions. We react to the gap with certain emotions. And it's different for all of us. Uh, Here are some emotions that people fill the gap with. Um, Some people fill the gap with guilt because they recognize that maybe it's something that they've done or an attitude that they have that has really created the discrepancy in expectation and reality. So some people have guilt when they think about their marriage. Other people, when they think about the gap of their marriage, is, uh, it's more anger and resentment builds up. And I think that's probably more common than guilt because we as people more commonly point the blame in other directions than at ourselves. So if I were to guess, more people would feel resentment if there's a big gap in their, their marriage. And that's because it's that person. That person needs a change. That person makes to, needs to make some changes. That might be very well the case. They need a change. And maybe for the most of us, in big ways, and for some of us just in very small ways, there's maybe the feeling of disappointment. Like the, the, the fairy tale marriage isn't so much a fairy tale. That the things that I thought when I was a little girl or when I was a, uh, a younger man, things didn't turn out that way. They're not exactly the way that I thought they would be. And so if you've ever felt that way about marriage or about a very important relationship in your life, I just want you to know that you're not alone. And in fact, here's our first fill-in for the day. That all marriages, let me say that again, all marriages, all marriages have a gap between expectations and reality. Now, for some of us, the gap is smaller than for others. But they all have a gap because we cannot tell the future. We don't know the things that are going to come in our path. We don't know how things are going to turn out and they never turn out perfectly. We live in a sinful world. So there's going to be a gap. (laughs) Even for people who have the the title pastor in front of their name. Now I've, I've heard that Pastor Matt might be a perfect husband. But you just need to talk to Carrie and she'll tell you that this pastor is not In fact, uh, as uh, we were sort of prepping for this series, Matt and I, Carrie, you know, kind of knew that it was coming, and she's like, oh, that's awesome. That means I'll have, you know, a better version of Ben for the next four weeks. So um, I kind of have to hopefully live what I'm sharing. So I want you to know that just because I'm sharing these truths, they're God's truth, and I don't get it right all the time. I've got my own things that I I need to work on. Now, before we get into the content of our first week, I had mentioned before the service that I just wanted to talk for a moment to those of you who are single, okay? That could include, um, you know, teenagers, so people that are too young to be married. And by the way, my my daughters will always be too young to be married, so that doesn't matter. Um, what age they are, but people who are not yet of marrying age or people who are adults and just haven't, you know, haven't gotten married yet. So the first group is those who are single but are looking to hopefully be married. I want you to know that this is going to be a great study for you, and, and here's why. Because as you listen to God's direction through this series and through 
our study, you're going to be able to better understand what is myth and what is real about marriage and hopefully avoid some of the pitfalls that we married people have fallen into at times through the course of our marriages. So it's great that you're here. It's like, you know, pre-marriage work, all right? For those of you who aren't married, who are single, and aren't looking to be married, maybe widows or widowers would fall into this category. Um, I wonder for you, do you happen to know anyone that you care about that's married? Yes. What a great resource you can be as someone who has been married, maybe a wonderful marriage, and yet are now able to share some of the truths that you hear from here and also that you've experienced in your married life with those that you love and care about that are in marriages now. So this, this, this series is for everybody, especially because it all evolves around the love of Christ, which, which all of us need. For today, I mentioned earlier that all marriages have a gap between expectations and reality. And if, if I could, I would say that in general, most of the time, and you can kind of think about your own relationship and see if you agree. Some of you may not. Most of the time, though, I think that the gap is created more because of unrealistic expectations versus bad reality. Now, sometimes... There are anomalies, and it could be, for some of us, bad reality, and we didn't have unrealistic expectations, but for most of us, it has to do with expectations that, if we look back on it, just were more idyllic than what was really possible, and so that's where the gap gets created. And this idea, this thing, this gap is created, I think, very much at the very beginning of the courting process of these expectations. Because if you're someone looking to find someone to be married to, we often categorize that as we're looking for Mr. Right or we're looking for Mrs. Right. And so we put all of our emphasis on the finding and all of the emphasis on the, uh, on the characteristics that they need to have. And honestly, many of them are quite shallow, to be honest, right? Even Disney movies really exacerbate or really emphasize the finding. And I'm talking about Disney, like Cinderella movies. Because think about it. When do most of those Cinderella-type movies, princess movies, end? Right when the relationship begins at the finding. And so Belle finds the beast and they fall in love. And it's happily ever after. And Ariel and Prince Eric, they find each other, they get married, and it's happily ever after. How do we know it's happily ever after? Right? How do we know that after a little while, Ariel got sick of being a human and wanted to then go back under the sea because she missed her family and she was getting sick of Prince Eric? How do we know that's not how it went, right? How do we know that Belle just didn't get, you know, a little sick of living with a beast and he gets mad all the time and I've had enough and I don't think this is so good, but it ends when it really begins. We tend to set ourselves up for this gap because all of our emphasis tends to be on the finding. And believe me, I get it. It's hard to know what marriage is like before you get there. 
But at the same time, we can prep ourselves for it if we're single. We can look back on the finding and the challenges we're now in if we are married and try to better understand what was going on and why I feel the way that I do right now. This emphasis on the finding is not something that's new. In fact, it's been going on forever. In fact, we have an example of this from about 3,000 years ago with a man named Samson. Now, when I say the word Samson, for those of you who have heard that name before, what do you think of? And it might help because I'm standing in front of all of you, too. Um, that Grant, you gave me a face. Strong, yeah. Muscles, right? So, or Mitchell. Mitchell, too, right? <laughs> um, yeah, strong, muscles, um, long hair. The thing that I think is more even clear in Samson's uh, history, at least biblically recorded, than his strength, is that he was horrible at relationships. Absolutely horrible at relationships. And I just want to peek into his very first occurrence of a marriage relationship. It's from Judges chapter 14. And I just want to, to show you that this focus on things, on the finding, is something that's not new. Listen to what happened with Samson. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. And a couple weeks ago we talked about Philistia, and we talked about how they were a nation that was ungodly. They didn't believe in the, the true God. Um, in, in a lot of ways, they were called heathen because they were unbelieving, an unbelieving people. But Samson went down there, saw a young Philistine woman, and when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Now, What's Samson thinking here? I know what he's thinking. It's two words. She's hot. I want to be married to her. Samson is like most guys. Kind of shallow at the beginning. And maybe, whether you're a guy or a gal... Maybe you weren't quite that shallow, as shallow as Samson was. But at times, we try to find Mr. or Mrs. Right based on things that maybe aren't always the most important things. And Samson had that issue, too. And he was in love, right, in love. You know, it's interesting, if you read through chapter 14, he hadn't even talked to her yet. And yet, he wanted her as his wife. Because there's a lot of excitement in the finding. And you're feeling stuff, right? And your heart starts beating a little bit faster and all that stuff. Well, his mom and dad, they've been married for a while. They know better. (laughs) What do they share? Verse 3. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among our relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? Basically what they're saying is, looks are one thing, but there is a lot more important things than that. That the things that you see on a surface level of a person are one thing. And it's okay to be attracted to someone who's attractive, okay? But it is, as far as marriage goes, is a much bigger thing than that. 
And for his parents, you say uncircumcised Philistines. What, what they're getting at is these people are not Jews. They don't believe the same thing we believe. Faith is important, Samson. Looks are neat. Faith is important. You know, uh, for those of you who are single and not yet married but looking to be married, I'm not your dad. But I just want to tell you when it comes to my kids that the thing I'm trying to instill in them, and then they're going to have to make decisions on their own, is that the one non-negotiable when it comes to a spouse is someone with a strong faith in Jesus Christ. That for those of us who know what marriage is like, that we know even in the best marriages it's difficult. When you don't have that foundation of faith at the very beginning, if you need to be the anchor and your husband or your wife is the one, you know, sort of that you need to drag along with you, um, and, and they're the anchor is maybe a better way of saying it, it makes marriage that much harder, right? That's what Samson's parents are saying. Now, Samson's young. He's feeling stuff, all right? She's hot. And so Samson replies, says to his father, get her for me, she's Mrs. Wright. Get her for me, she's the right one. All of Samson's focus, much like men and women throughout the centuries, was on finding the right person, as bad of a criteria as it might have been, and then if I find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, then everything's going to be all right. That's our next fill-in. When I find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, everything will be all right. That's a myth. It's not true. What I mean by Mr. or Mrs. Wright is not Mr. or Mrs. Wright for you, but Mr. or Mrs. Wright in the idyllic type of, he completes me in every way. Everything's going to be happy. He's the perfect guy. He's the, she's the perfect gal. We just get along all the time. Doesn't exist. That person. You see, when we get into a marriage relationship, after the finding happens, and we get into relationship, that's when, when things get more difficult. At the very beginning, it's not hard. At the very beginning, it seems... So easy. Um, I remember when Carrie and I first got uh, married. Um, actually, no, before we got married, we dated and were engaged. That whole time frame was about three years. And uh, I remember as we were getting married that Carrie and I, and I'm not just like blowing smoke here, um, I'm not lying, uh, we never really had had an argument of any substance. And I'm sure she didn't think this because she's smarter about relationships than me, but I thought this because, you know, we're in love, that um, I thought that maybe we'd be like the first couple ever to never have a big argument in our entire relationship. Like, I thought that was attainable goal. And I'm telling you, it's happened, okay? It's happened more than once. But at the very beginning of a relationship, sometimes we can misunderstand our feelings of love for real love. And it doesn't mean that real love isn't there. It just means that the feeling sometimes is easier than the actual relationship. 
You know, it's that time frame where you just are wanting to be around each other all the time, and you're holding hands all the time, and, and, and you know, you, you tell your girlfriends, yeah, you know, we, we, um, we were talking to each other on the phone, and we both fell asleep with the other one on the line, and it's so awesome, and, you know, and, and, and sometimes we even think some of these things, and I'm guessing most of you have, not all of you, but many of you had thought this before you got married and, and during that dating process, like, like when you thought about how you felt about the other person, you actually kind of thought these words, that in all the history of the world, no one has ever loved like I love her. No one has ever loved like we love. It is so perfect. That's not relationship. You know what that is? It's a good thing, and I hope most marriages have that before and during, but that is chemistry. It's not relationship. Chemistry is easy. In fact, uh, one pastor put it this way, that all you need to do to fall in love is have a pulse. Anyone can fall in love. But the work is staying in love. The work is relationship. And relationship happens over time. Love in a relationship doesn't happen because two people don't ever have an argument. Love in a relationship happens when arguments happen and they get through them together. Love in a relationship happens not because there's no problems, but because two people recognize that they're married to sinful people and yet they're going to work as hard as they can to stay together and to make it wonderful, to make it as good as it can be with God's help, strength, and blessing. And, and if we were to be honest, and looking back for those of you who are married, part of the reason we have a gap, not all of it, but part of it, is that either we have had or we currently have unrealistic expectations for our spouse to live up to that we don't even live up to ourselves. That it's easy, again, to point out other people's faults, but it's harder for us to do a self-assessment and change the sins and faults that we have in our own hearts and lives. And so because there is no right person, that is, perfect person, perfect spouse that you're going to find or that you're married to, our next fill-in gives us a different focus. Instead of being, or I'm sorry, being the right person, is even more important than finding the right person. Does that make sense? You need to have criteria for, if you're single, for who you're going to marry. Don't settle. Don't compromise the faith thing, okay? It's okay to look for the right person. But even more important than that is you and I being the right person inside of that relationship. And that's kind of how I want to close today. I want to close by looking at what does the right person look like? What does uh, living out love in a relationship look like? And to do that, we're just going to read a few verses from 1 Corinthians 13. If you've uh, ever been to a wedding, and if you are married, you've been to one, 
Um, 1 Corinthians 13 is read at a lots of different weddings. Um, it's sometimes called the, the love chapter because of its content. And here is where uh, the Apostle Paul, he writes about what love uh, really looks like. Um, here it is. Go back one. Love is a tingly feeling when you see someone really pretty. Love is a pitter-patter of the heart. Love doesn't lose. Wait. See, Greg was, was ahead of me. He saw that. He didn't like it. This is actually a description of chemistry that I accidentally put in there. Um, this is not love. So if you thought that was love, that's wrong. All right, let's go to the next one. This is what the Bible really says. Love is patient. I'm just testing you. <laughs> Be patient. Sometimes things in your marriage relationship in your life don't happen on the timetable that you'd like. It's easy to blame him. It's easy to blame her. It's life. Be patient with each other. Love is kind. It's, it's considerate. It opens the door. It's you first. No, you go first. No, you go first. It doesn't envy. Um, it doesn't boast. I think those two go together. It's easy for us to compare ourselves, even within a marriage. And some of us outwardly get more accolades or more praise in a marriage or seem to be doing more things. Others have, have chosen a different route and especially think here of stay-at-home moms who maybe don't get all the outward accolades you're on the same team. One side of it, you don't need to envy your husband or your wife's accomplishments at work. On the other side of things, we don't need to boast, but more be so thankful for the role that the other one has taken. It's not proud. Love isn't rude. It isn't self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. That's a, that's a hard one. Love doesn't delight in evil but it rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Anyone have work to do? Now, don't be thinking of your spouse. We all have work to do. What do you think would happen in your marriage if, if you would take this list, you'd put it on your fridge or on your mirror, and just... Every week or every month, you just pick one off and try to be more of that. Because it's a decision. Do you think things would be even better than they already are if you have a great marriage? Absolutely. Do you think difficult marriages would have more hope and, and would, would improve? Absolutely. The problem is, is that sometimes it's like the Old West, right? And we both need, know that we need to do this. But who's going to shoot first? And I don't want to be the first one to shoot. You go first, and if you go, then I will go. It's that whole thing about how it's easier to love those who are lovable. Be lovable first, and then I'll love you. But God has called us not to do that. He has called us to even love our enemies. What happens if both people go first? You know... Um, let me ask this. What would have happened if Jesus waited 
for you to become the right person or to become lovable before he was willing to do anything? What if Jesus waited for you? You know what would have happened? Nothing would have happened. He wouldn't have been born. He wouldn't have lived a perfect life. No death, no resurrection, no hope, no peace, no heaven, no forgiveness. In fact, here's how Paul writes about Jesus' love. God demonstrated his love for us in this. Here's here's what it is. Before we were lovable, while we were still sinners, Christ made a choice to die for us. Now, I know this isn't easy. And I know that um, we cannot love like Jesus loved us perfectly. God is not asking you to be perfect in your love. But guess what he is asking you? He is asking me and you to try. To when we see an attitude or an action or an unwillingness to move until the other moves. That that's something we can do something about. That's something we can work on. We can't be perfect, but we can make a step. We can take this list that was up there before and we can take one off there and start working on it. With God's help and with God's forgiveness when we fail. His strength, His peace, His love can make the best marriages better and difficult marriages better as well. Here's what happens sometimes as we close. So often, when I counsel people who uh, um, you know, are maybe going through some marriage difficulties, at some point, I, I begin to sense the fact that they have a lot of brain energy towards the wonderment of whether they chose Mr. Right or chose Mrs. Right, and whether that person is the right person, and then a lot of energy begins to go towards, well, I wonder if the grass is greener. Here's what I'm saying on the other side of the fence. Here's what I'm saying. What if we took all that energy and we just poured it into the person we already have? What if we acknowledge that I married to a sinful husband, a sinful wife, but if I were to get married again, I'm inevitably going to pick someone who's sinful, right? And it's going to be the same thing. What if we just took all that energy, instead of asking the question, did I choose the right person to love, if we asked a different question to close, am I loving the person I've chosen? No matter how you got together, might have been like Samson, she's hot. No matter how you got together, married people, you are together. You've made a covenant between you and God. And for the best marriages, there is the opportunity with God's love and help and to fulfill 1 Corinthians 13 as best as we can for things to get better, for the the marriages that are going through the most difficult challenges. With God's help, strength, forgiveness, there's hope for everyone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,